In the name of God, the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer. Please be seated. Good morning. The Easter season is drawing to a close. In our church calendar, it is this coming Thursday that we celebrate the feast of the ascension of our Lord into heaven. The time when he was present on earth will have ended. So in our gospel readings, last week and this week, we hear in particular about how our Lord is preparing the disciples for the time when he will no longer be among them in the flesh. Throughout their time together, Jesus has repeatedly said, Follow me, follow me. Now he's saying, You cannot come where I'm going. The passages from John's Gospel we heard last week and this are like none other in any other Gospels. They're unique to John, most likely because the Gospel, this particular Gospel, was written later than the other three, more toward the end of the first century. This would have been after the hideous persecutions of Christians had begun in Rome under Emperor Nero, and after the first Jewish-Roman war and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. By that time, people trying to learn about and follow Jesus would not have had first-hand knowledge of him. Therefore, the author or authors of this gospel were intent on firmly establishing Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. That is likely why texts of this gospel devote so much time and effort into describing what comes after Jesus. Just how are Jesus' disciples supposed to carry on? What can we, the 21st century disciples, learn about how we're supposed to carry on? What is required to be a follower? What help have we received from God in this regard? So when Jesus was telling his disciples of his imminent departure, try to imagine for a moment how the disciples must have felt. Confused, disillusioned, possibly betrayed, certainly sad, despairing, maybe even angry. What do you mean you're leaving us? If you'd had a loved one leave you behind for any reason, or if you've chosen to leave another, then you've experienced how people respond at such times. In the absence, there is ache and there is pain. No wonder at the beginning of last week's gospel, we heard Jesus say, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This week, he offers these words of comfort. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. We hear these words echoed in the reading from 1 Peter. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus is being completely open and honest with how he is addressing the disciples. He's not 
mincing any words. He's telling them the truth because he loves them. He's not hiding anything from them. He wants them to try to understand that even though he will leave, he will not leave them abandoned and alone. So he begins to do this by explaining that if the disciples are truly his followers, in other words, if they love him, then God will give them another advocate to be with them forever. In this passage, the advocate is also called the spirit of truth, or more commonly to our ears, the Holy Spirit. God will give them this gift to stand by them, to advocate for them forever. Now, the fact that Jesus says God will give you another advocate implies there has already been one. The disciples have already had an advocate all along in Jesus. In fact, 1 John makes this clear when we may read, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what do advocates do for us? They give us support through being present. They speak when we perhaps can't find the words, don't have the words. An advocate is something the disciples are certainly going to need when Jesus is physically gone. Having lived as humans, Jesus knows the suffering that comes with absence and loss. And we know there is no escaping the pain associated with loss. That's why we, too, need to know this advocate, this spirit of truth, this Holy Spirit. And the way to realize the gift of the advocate is through love, as Jesus demonstrates. Love is the way into relationships that, when they, when they end, again, for whatever reason, cause pain and suffering. Ironic, then, that love is also the way out. The late Henry Nouwen, noted theologian and author, experienced a prolonged period of depression and darkness following the interruption of a friendship. His despair went to such depths that he didn't know if he wanted to live or die. He felt worthless, completely without merit, He could find nothing of value in his life. In his own words, I experienced myself as useless, unloved, a despicable person. I felt that God had abandoned me. All had become darkness. Friends, he calls his guides, helped him to choose life and not death. Day by day, he began to put his thoughts on paper, which which resulted in the book, The Inner Life of Love. But it was many years after this time that he had the courage to publish what he had written, because for him it was so close, it was so intense, it was so raw. Nowen does not describe the presence of these guides, though, in his life as manifestations of the Spirit, but that might not be too much of a leap to take. In his book, one of his reflections in particular speaks to how 
When we experience a time of intense emotional pain, we really know deep in our souls that what we're experiencing is not unique to us. We're human and all humans experience pain and suffering. Everyone's circumstances may be different, but the suffering is not. Therefore, if we can think of our pain in a broader sense as not being our pain, but the pain, we can more easily depersonalize it. We can let go of it and therefore forgive who or what we think is the source. As Nouwen says, that realization allows you to forgive your enemies and enter into a truly compassionate life. As long as you're hanging on to your enemies, you're cutting off your ability to enter into a compassionate life. When we can muster compassion for others, we are acknowledging the compassion that God is already given to us. It is then that we are able to live the lives that show God's boundless love for us in sending Jesus to live and die as one of us and then to send the Holy Spirit to be with us forever. So the Spirit is with us as we live lives according to God's commands, which are lives reflective of God's love in the gift of life itself. Thus, another manifestation of the Holy Spirit is described often in the Old Testament as the breath of life. For any of you who have ever practiced yoga or meditation, you know the importance of focusing on the breath, the breath of life. Without this, there is no life. It's the first thing we do when we're born. We suck in that big gulp of air to fill our lungs. And it's the last thing we do when life leaves us. The Spirit is truly there every moment of our lives. There is no other clearer idea of how the Spirit truly dwells in us. It is with us all our days. Its presence helps us grasp how keeping God's commands shows our love for God. And finally, by showing God our love in this way, we return to God and to the world the gift of life that we've been given. Now, we live in unsettled times. We need to be reminded, as did people 2,000 years ago, of who Jesus is, why God sent him to live among us, and what the coming of the Advocate means for us. The lives we've been given to live are gifts from God, and we do well to follow God's commands in thanksgiving for this gift and to return to God the love we have received. The pain and suffering that is inevitable in this human life need not consume us and cause us to throw away God's great gift. Jesus' disciples obviously found their way through their experience of losing him. Because they loved him, they followed his commands, then the advocate was there for them. They held on to their lives, they were given and spread the good news throughout the world, and they are why we are still here today. Let us do no less with the precious lives we have been given.